Today I'm privileged to stand before you just to bring the word of God from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 12 through 19. But before we can turn to John chapter 12, verse 12 to 19, I may say this. When you go around the world, you will see we have good people. They come and they go. We have good kings. They come and they go. We have good leaders. They come and they go. We have good advisors. They come and they go. But today, this morning, I want to bring before you the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who was, who is, and who will be. In other, uh, in other words, I'm saying, I'm bringing before you the King of Kings who never changed. He was, he is, and he will be. So shall we turn together to the book of uh, John, chapter 12. John, chapter 12. Now, here the scripture reads, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king comes sitting on a donkey called. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crown that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had him, oh, sorry, they had he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him." Now the purpose of this gospel, as stated by John himself is to show that Jesus of Nazareth was Christ, the Son of God, and those who believe in him should have eternal life. In the Gospel of John, the central theme, the central purpose of this book revolves around the locus, the divine locus, the one that was God, and the one that was God made flesh in the twelve among us, we don't not only receive Jesus Christ in the body, but at the same time as we receive him in the body, we receive the true message from God. Because Jesus Christ is a true message coming down to us from God. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, 
and the word was God. Now, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, that is the message to us. It is relatively few instances in the life of Jesus which has been actually recorded out in the three Gospels or the four Gospels. When you go back to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11, you can see Matthew also recording about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. When you go to Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through verse 11, Mark is also recording the same event. You go to the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 29, through verse 46, you can see also uh, Luke is recording the same event. But as you read keenly, you can see that there are a variation of how they were recording this event. It is relatively few instances in these Gospels whereby we can re- read such like a uh, triumphal entry of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem. We don't know whether John Hartmark or other synoptic Gospels before he penned out this book. This was a time, presumably, Sunday of Passion Week. The crowd was undoubtedly big, and the people were keen with expectation, wondering if Jesus would also come at the feast. Jesus was met on the road from Bethany by pilgrims who had already approached Jerusalem. Bethany is a village where he had just rose Lazarus from the dead. So that's the village where he was coming. And the history puts it this way, that when you are on this side of Bethany, coming down to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was built on a hill, those people in the city of Jerusalem could see what is happening the other side. Because from Bethany, you come down through Kindrom Valley as you climb to the city of Jerusalem. So the, the, these people, they were the pilgrims who had already reached Jerusalem and who went out to meet him once they saw that he was, or heard that he was approaching Jerusalem. Many of these pilgrims will have people from Galilee. Now, Galilee is on the northern part of Palestine. Now, uh, and on the northern part of Palestine, we, we see Jerusalem. But now, these people, the most of them, maybe have come from Galilee because most of what Jesus Christ ministry dwelled mostly, Jesus did his ministry mostly on the northern, northern part of Palestine, that is Galilee. So mostly these are the people from that who are very familiar with his ministry and many others will have heard him raise Lazarus from the dead and were equally waiting the opportunity to see him. Most of them were not rulers. Most of them were not great men. They who met Jesus Christ when he was approaching to Jerusalem. They were common people. Some would have called them a mob or a disorderly crowd. They were just ordinary people. But Christ has chosen the weak, the foolish things, to shame the mighty. Jesus valued men by their soul, not their names, not their honor, not their titles. But he has chosen the lowly to assume those who are strong. The Bible reads, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish 
in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's the connotation. Even when he, uh, Jesus Christ was born, the first message went to the lowly people, the shepherds. And here we see also, as he's going to Jerusalem, those people who are going to meet him, they are not people with honorable opportunity or maybe uh, a classical people who are going to meet with Jesus Christ. They are just ordinary people. Uh, God will reveal his kingdom. As you, you, you come to realize this, God is going to reveal his kingdom at Jesus' second coming, which is still a future event, and we are still awaiting it. We still await for this kingdom to come. But here, when Jesus Christ was going to Jerusalem, the Jews were actually confused that maybe this is the time. But when you read the scripture, the time is not yet. We are still looking in future to see how Jesus Christ is coming to decorate this kingdom. As believers, we are citizens of heaven now, and Christ is our king. We enjoy the chore citizenship. In other words, I'm saying, I am a citizen of my country, and at the same time, I'm a citizen of heaven because I believed in Jesus Christ to be my personal savior. So I have chore citizenship. I enjoy the chore citizenship. I enjoy being a citizen of my country, at the same time, I enjoy being a citizen of heaven because Jesus Christ is my personal savior. And because he's my personal savior, he has given me that ticket actually to enjoy the citizenship of heaven. Now, misunderstanding of his first coming leads to misunderstanding of his second coming. Should we miss him in the first coming, obviously we are going to miss him in his second coming. Now, today, I want to present to you the King Jesus, who is the King and at the same time is the Messiah. Now, in this passage, we will see five ways, five ways you can receive the King Jesus in your life. Five ways you can receive King Jesus in your life. Number one, just to go through how I have... I have outlined this passage. Number one, you can receive a king with a joy. That is verse 12 through verse 13. Number two, you can receive a king with expectations. That is verse 14 through verse 15. Number three, you can receive a king with ignorance. That is verse 16. Number four, you can receive a king with acceptance. That is verse 17 through 18. And lastly, you can receive a king through rejection. So this leads us to the first outline. You can receive a king with joy. Let's dive in and see how you can receive a king with joy. I read the scripture. I don't want to go and read it again because time is not on our side. In this instance, it may well have signaled nationalists hope for the messianic, for the messianic savior was arriving at the scene. In other words, I'm saying, when the Israelites or the Jews saw this one happening, they thought that actually the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming to rescue us from other things which we have oppressed by the Roman Empire. But the question is, what did this demonstrate, or what 
this demonstration mean to the Romans? What did this demonstration mean to the Romans? Because he was coming to Jerusalem in triumphal entry to Jerusalem. What did it mean to the Romans? Though nothing is recorded, but we make case that Romans kept a watch, a close watch, that day to see what will be the outcome. Besides that, history takes it this way. The Romans also had their own triumphs, entries in Rome. And this is how it goes. The triumphal entries was a civil ceremony, a religious rite of an ancient Rome, held to publicly celebrate or sanctify the success of a military commander who had led Roman forces to victory in services of a state or originally and traditionally one who had successfully completed a foreign war. In other, in other words, I'm, I'm saying this. This triumphal entry of the Romans is equivalent to U.S. Tikka-Teporet. Tikka-Teporet. Maybe most of you, you know about Tikka-Teporet. So the triumphal entry of the Roman Empire, it is equivalent to that. But the difference is, it was having more splendid prestige. The victorious soldier will be permitted to display the trophies he had won and the enemy leaders he had captured. This parade ended up in the arena where some of the captives entertained the people by fighting with the wild animals. So compared to the Roman triumphal entries, to the Lord's or Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem, to them it was nothing. To them it was nothing to the Romans, in terms of splendor and maybe prestige. When they were looking at Jesus Christ coming to Jerusalem, to them it was nothing, because they were comparing the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ and their triumphal entries, which they normally are actually exercise in Rome. They were saying, this is nothing. This is nothing. For, for to, to them, it, it, it actually affected nothing. Many Jews were expecting the Messiah to come, so as to save them from the operation and bondage of the Romans, because that is the time when Roman uh, rule was actually uh, on the world. They cried out, Hosanna. When you read verse uh, 12 and verse 13, you can see that they are crying out, Hosanna. Originally, translation of the Hebrew word Hosanna, which means literally, give salvation now, and has come to mean praise. Hosanna has come to mean literally praise. The Jews knew its occurrence in the Psalms. It meant save us. We pray, O oh Lord. We pray, give us salvation. Now, when you read Psalms 118, verse 25, those are the words. So the, the Jewish people knew about it. They knew about its occurrence. Now, this psalm was not, this psalm was part of the praise psalms. Now, in the, in the, in the in the Old Testament, when we, we talk about the Psalms, we have categories of Psalms. But these Psalms, from 113 to 118, they are known as praise Psalms or Hillel Psalms. And these praise Psalms or Hillel Psalms were mostly were sung each morning by the temple choir during the Feast of Tepnaco, associated with the Feast of Dedication and the Passover Feast. Now, when we talk about uh, 
the visit of the education it is different because sometimes it is called the visit of the education, sometimes it's called the visit of light, sometimes it's called the visit of Hanukkah. But now the visit of Hanukkah, the education of the light, was not among the seven visits which God gave Moses to the Israelites. Hanukkah is something different. Now, how did it come? How did it come? The meaning of this verse, Hanukkah, it only began like this. Antiochus IV attempted to take the throne of Egypt, but was repuffed by Rome. Because of that, and because of what he speculated as a revolt in the priesthood, Antiochus unleashed his anger on those Jews who would not carry his favor or fully adopt Hellenism. He was determined now to destroy all the Jews because they are not actually adhering to what he wants. He wanted to, take, to control Egypt, but the Romans actually repuffed him and his anger went through the Jews. And as a result, what he did, Androchus 4, number one, he banned all circumcision. Number two, those who destroyed, those who disobeyed were put to death. He, dis- uh, he defiled the copies of the law with the symbols of pagan courts. He banned them. Another thing which Androchus did, he, anyone found possessing the law, he was put to death. Another thing, the Jews were banned to celebrate the supper. And something which he did, which was more worse, Androchus sacrificed a pig on the altar of the temple and erected the statue of Zeus. Now, you, you, you recognize and uh, you know that we have defiled animals, animals which were not clean. Among them was a pig. And then Androchus, just to irritate the Jews, he sacrificed this pig on the altar. And when he did so, that is why Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, he records the abomination of desolation. This is the time. It was happening in the testamental period. So Androchus sent his officers to the villages compelling the Jews to make sacrifice to Zeus. It is as if he wanted to eradicate all the Jews. One of the villages was Motain, located a half way between Jerusalem and Chopa. An officer arrived and commanded the aged priest Matthias to make a sacrifice to Zeus. He's commanding the priests of the Jews to sacrifice to the Zeus. And imagine this older priest, he's going to say, no, I cannot do that. Because if I do that, I will be defiling my God. Then Matthias refused. And when he refused, his younger priest came over and he sacrificed that sacrifice to the Zeus. And when he sacrificed that sacrifice to the Zeus, then the priest Matthias was annoyed as a result. He killed his deputy and also he killed the Roman officials who were sent actually to uh, uh, make the Jews sacrifice to the Zeus. 
As a result now, Matetias ran for his life with his five kids to the hills. As he, he ran like that, then there came the battle or the war or the revolt of Makapean. The Makapean revolt went for three years, and then the, uh, the Jews recaptured Jerusalem. They removed the, statute, the, the statue of Zeus, refurbished the temple, and reinstated the Jews sacrifice. Now, this is where, when they were reinstating the Jews sacrifice, it was called the Feast of Hanukkah. They were dedicating this temple, dedicating the temple back to the glory. This is called the Feast of Hanukkah. You cannot read it anywhere in the Old Testament, but you can only read it in the New Testament, as John is recording it uh, in chapter 10, verse 22. Now, Hanukkah was not among the seven feasts which God gave Moses for the Israel to observe. I don't want to enter into the Old Testament feasts, but I can just enumerate them quickly as I go. In the Old Testament, we have different feasts, like seven of them, which God gave Moses so that uh, the, uh, the children of Israel could observe. Number one was the feast of Pentecost. When you want to read, it's Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Number two was a feast of unleavened bread, Exodus 12, verse 15 through 20. Number three was a feast of the first fruit, that's Leviticus 23, verse 9 to 14. Number four, the feast of Pentecost, that's Leviticus 23, verse 15 through 22. And the feast of uh, trumpets, that's Leviticus 23, 23 to 35. Number six, Tay of Atonement. Tay of Atonement, Leviticus 23, 26 to 32. And lastly, the Feast of Tabernacle. The Feast of Tabernacle, that's Leviticus 23, uh, 34 to 43. Those are the seven feasts which God gave Moses that the nation of Israel should always observe. Most of them have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ when he came. But we have some of them which are still awaiting to be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. Like the Feast of Trumpet. The Feast of Trumpet is accompanied with judgment. And we know that when Jesus Christ is going to come back the second time, he's coming as a judge. And because he's going to come, they, they are going to announce his coming with the trumpets. So that is still future. But most of these feasts actually have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ when he comes. Now, Going back to our text, they shouted Hosanna as they moved towards, uh, as they moved down to Jerusalem. Hosanna was strongly used and associated to the messianic expectation. While Jerusalem, it's, it means the city of peace, a foundation of peace, and the people were hoping that Jesus will bring the peace they needed at that time. That was the expectation of the people around Jerusalem at that time when they saw that Jesus Christ was coming. Another thing which they were expecting is that restoration of the lost Jews nationality by making Jesus Christ the king. Yeah, they are actually hoping good things, but these things are still yet future because Jesus Christ uh, actually he did not come the first time to set up his kingdom. His kingdom is coming, but it's still future. 
Jesus, as they were doing this, Jesus, in his heart, he was weeping. When you go back to the book of Luke, chapter uh, 19, verse 37, following, you can see that when they were actually having such like expectations, but Jesus, in his heart, Jesus was weeping. Because of what? Because he was seeing what is laid ahead of this nation. He's seeing what is laid ahead of this nation. What did he see? He saw things like war. He saw things like suffering. He saw things like destruction and a scattered people. He, he, he came to know that although they are welcoming him, but they are not unified people, they, they are soon going to be scattered. So for them, they want, their expectations are different to what Jesus Christ is actually coming with. They were missing the point here. Jesus, in other words, he failed for them because they misunderstood him. They did not get the agenda right. They did not get the purpose of Christ right. They misunderstood it. It is funny because when Jesus Christ was born, the angels announced peace beyond the world. That is Luke chapter 2. Verse 13 through 14. But again, when Jesus Christ was here, he did not announce peace, but he announced war. When you read Luke chapter 12, verse 51 following. Now, the angels are announcing peace on the world, but during the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself is announcing war. And here the Jews are, are, are joyous enough welcoming Jesus Christ, thinking that they are going to enthrone him. They missed it. This is funny. It is significant that the crowd shouted, peace in heaven. When you read Luke 19, verse 38, you could, you could see the crowd was shouting, peace in heaven. For sure, it is only heaven where we have peace. Go around the world. People are crying for peace. It is only in heaven that we have peace. And how joy it will be? Because we are citizens of heaven. And if that is the only place we have peace, then every time we should do our level best to see to it that we don't miss it. Because that is the only place we have peace. The, the, the crowd was shouting that. That's the only place I assure you, we have peace. In the New Testament, Hosanna over 13 finds its connection to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. The succeeding, the succeeding words are also drawn from Psalms 118, verse 26, which reads, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Notice the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That is what I want actually to dwell on. In Psalms 118, it was understood in a messianic perspective. So passing on this, when they are saying, blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord, Blessed is the king of Israel. It's not a quotation also from Psalms 118, part messianic identification of he who comes 
in the name of the Lord. In other words, this is what I mean. Jesus entered into the city in this manner, was openly announcing to the people that he was indeed the king and the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament. And because these people were blind, identifying him the way the prophets were actually prophesying, missed it. They could not. And because they could not, they had their own agenda. When you read John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the king of Israel. They caught it right, but they missed the timing. They caught it right. He was the king of Israel, but the timing, they missed it. Jewish people were longing to have an earthly savior, a savior who could deliver them from their political situation, a savior who could deliver them from their economic situation, a savior who could uh, deliver them from their prosperity situation and even food security. That is what they were focusing on because they were being intimidated by the Romans. So whatever was happening, they were saying, he has come, and because he has come, we know now our things are going to be settled. Economic, polit- politics, prosperity is going to be settled because he is coming. That's a leader who could fight and protect them from their enemies. How did they welcome him? How did these people welcome Jesus Christ when he was going to Jerusalem? They had no keys of the city to present to him nor did they have any leadership staff to give him as a symbol of leadership. Nor did they have any good music to compliment him with as he was entering the city that time. They were ordinary people. Now, this reminds me, sometimes when I was still young, it was announced that the president was going to pass our village. I was still very young. Then I was saying, you are saying a president, what do you mean? Say, no, the president is like a king of Kenya. So how does he look like? No, he's going to pass here. So people are going to see the president. And because I was still very young, I was just to be helped by my elder sister to walk me there. When I arrived at the, the, the market where the president was coming, people had already lined up. And you could feel different songs, different cheers, and other things which they were doing. I said, what are they doing? And then she told me, they are just happy because the president is passing. He's coming to pass. I thought that maybe a president is not a human being. That's, that's what... But when he came, I said, he's just a human being. And then I asked her, but she's speaking. I said, yes, she speaks. She's a person. I said, okay, she's just a person. <laughs> just a person. So it reminds me of the expectation when a big man is coming around. And these people also had such an expectation because the big man has come. In quotes, their politics is going to be fixed. In quotes, the economy is going to be fixed. In quotes, all of those things which are affecting them physically, 
they are going to be fixed because the big man is passing. That's a leader who could fight and protect them from their enemies. They just welcomed him the way they welcomed him. They did not have anything which actually they can present to him. But they had only the palms in their hands, an emblem of victory, passing and waving at him as he was coming. They were waving at him as he was coming. He approached the city on a donkey. He did not approach the city, maybe now, like presently, it looks very ridiculous when you are a king and then they see you coming, mounting on a donkey. People will say, oh, you are ridiculous. They want you to come in a fancy car, something which everyone noticed that you are a king. But this is not the way Jesus came. And these people did not have anything, actually, to present to him. But they had only palms waving at him as he comes, entering Jerusalem on a donkey. However, Christ was now, through the death, be able to conquer the principalities and the powers of Satan at the cross. Now, Christ knew that as he is entering Jerusalem, there is something which is waiting at him, and that's the cross. But they did not see that. The cross was waiting for Jesus Christ in Jerusalem because prophecy has it that he cannot die outside Jerusalem. He knew about that. Now, he was going in his heart. He saw the cross, but those people who were inviting him, they did not see the cross. They did not see the cross. But this is the time that Christ could come and then conquer Satan and his principalities and the powers at the cross. But what kind of a leader does the world want? The world wants a leader who will allow them to continue in their sins, allow them to continue in their corruption. Thus, false messianic concept, concepts dismisses Christ's true mission on the world. If we miss Christ's mission, then false concepts will actually dismiss his mission on the world. Uh, it fails to take the consideration, Christ's demand of denying one's, uh, oneself, taking up the cross, and following him. Because that is, that, that is the call of, of each one of us, that we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. When you read Luke, chapter 9, verse 23 through 24. So, Guys, we are uh, welcoming the, or we are receiving the king with joy. But the question is, what type of joy do you have as you receive Jesus Christ or receive this king of kings? It may be you are joyous because of Christ, but a false joy. The joy which is not married with his mission. So you miss it. Now, this brings us to the second outline. We can receive a king with expectation. That is verse 14. Verse 14 through verse 15. Now, the information makes it clear that Jesus arranged for the ride on a young donkey. John cuts out some information and briefly reports that Jesus found a young donkey. The expression young donkey confirms that he rode a young animal. 
While Mark says that it was unbroken, and John makes nothing of it, he did not enter Jerusalem on a war horse. Now, when you go back to the Old Testament, political leaders were actually moving around on horses. And Jesus Christ, when he was going to Jerusalem, he did not actually use a horse. Because a horse, as recorded in, in, in Isaiah, chapter 31, verse 1 to 3, it was showing something different, which Jesus Christ did not want actually to use a horse. Because if he could use a horse, those people, the Jews, their aspiration could arise that now, the one we were talking about, he has come. He's coming to deliver us. But Jesus Christ instead, he chose actually to ride on a donkey to Jerusalem. He chose to ride on a donkey to Jerusalem. That is Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounting a donkey. Why a donkey? Well, a donkey is a noble animal. A donkey is an animal used for transportation. A donkey is a, a, an animal used actually to carry parties. You go around the world, a donkey is still a notable animal. The place where I come from, donkeys are still noble animals used for transportation. So Jesus Christ, he actually chose a law way of going to Jerusalem, and he chose a donkey. Christ came riding on a donkey, meaning that he was fulfilling the prophecy of being a king and a savior of the world. He was not a worldly king who will settle the social political order of human governments but a spiritual king calling the world to repent and be reconciled to God. That's his agenda. But because that agenda of Christ was not in their hearts, every time they are receiving him, but they are actually missing the mark, missing the point. The opening was, do not fear, do not be afraid, verse 15. Are found neither in the Hebrew nor any version of Zechariah 9.9. When you read the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, you cannot see anywhere whereby it has been said, do not be afraid. But the question is, where did these words come from? They are words neither in Hebrew nor in the version of Zechariah. But these words were replaced by the phrase, rejoice greatly. These words are drawn from Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your king. Fear not. They are attressed to the one who brings good news to Zion. They are attressed to the one who brings good news to Jerusalem. And who is this person? This is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bringing good news to Jerusalem. 
or bring good news to Zion. When we talk about the word Zion, Zion and Jerusalem, there are two words which are being used interchangeably. You go to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 31, and you go to the book of Lamentation 2, verse 4, verse 8, and verse 10, you can see that Jerusalem and Zion are used interchangeably. The nation of Israel wasted its opportunity. Leaders did not know the time of God's visitation. They were ignorant of their own scriptures. Next time, these people, they will see Jesus Christ coming the scene. He will be a king. And because he will be a king, when you read Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 following, Revelation actually notes some things. That when Jesus Christ will come now back on the scene, he's going to come as a, a king. And he will come in glory, not in humility. He will be accompanied by heavenly armies. It will be now a scene of victory, defeating the enemies, restoring the nation of Israel, and establishing his kingdom here on earth forever and ever. And that's good news. Wherever we are, that's good news. We are still focusing to see him come. And that's why we long to see him. And that's why every time we need to have hope, because he's coming. Soon and very soon, he's coming. This is the time when he will come. He's not just going to, to be, uh, as I've said, next, the next time he's going to come, he's going to come in glory. And that's the time he's coming to establish his kingdom and restore the, the, the nation of Israel. By then, when he will be coming, as a church, he will be raptured. As a church, he will be raptured. Rapture comes, tribulation, and then he comes. He rules for a thousand years. Then Satan is going to be appointed, and then we see new heaven, the new earth. And that's where I long to be, and that's where I hope to be. And I cannot long to be there if I'm not doing anything right now. Right now, I should be in good cares. And being in good cares, I need to identify myself with him. So that when he comes, end with him. He's coming to establish. So you can actually welcome the king with expectation. But sometimes your expectation may be different than the expectation of the king himself. I don't know how your expectations this morning are. I don't know. But should you actually expect to receive the king then your expectation should actually be uh, intermarried with his true mission of coming so that you can have that victory when he comes. Now, this brings us to the third outline. I don't know where our time is. This one I will just go very late. The blessing brings us to the, our third outline, verse 16. Apart from receiving the king with joy, apart from receiving the king with expectation, you can also receive the king with ignorance. Now, in Kenya, we were saying ignorance has no defense. If you are ignorant, you are ignorant. It has no defense. The last closely represents choice remarks about the disciples that they did not understand Jesus when he was talking about destroying the temple 
understood it in three days. The disciples missed it. They could not understand. They could not explain what Christ was trying to tell them. And Matthew, you need to understand to others that there can be no glory unless there is suffering. Jesus knew that he would die on the cross before he would enter into his glory. When you read the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 25 through 26, the Bible reads, All foolish ones are the snow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Christ himself knew about it. They did the Lord and missed it. Because for them, they did not know about the suffering of the Messiah and the glorious kingdom the prophets announced from the Old Testament period. They treated theologian mystic. Some treated theologians were saying that maybe there will be two messiahs. One messiah who will suffer and die, and the second messiah who will come and reign. And that is, that is nowhere in the scripture, which means they missed it. Not only maybe the theologian, the true theologian, but also the disciples also missed it. They were not clear of what was going on when you read uh, John chapter 11 verse 16. You can see even some disciples saying, let's go with him and die with him. Which means they don't articulate, they don't understand what Jesus was telling So after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said these things. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus Christ has spoken to them. When you read John 2, 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken. They needed the Holy Spirit, they needed the Holy Spirit of truth to reveal these things to them, because by then, when Jesus Christ was still here, the Holy Spirit has not come. So they needed the Holy Spirit, a teacher of remembrance, a teacher who could remind them what Jesus Christ has been telling them. When you read from John 14 26, you've got to get that. But the question is, what are these things? Because they were not understanding these things. They needed the Holy Spirit to remind them these things. The question is, what are these things? Now, these things, when you go back to the Old Testament, we see the typologies, all the typologies about Jesus Christ, all the shadows about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, all the sufferings of Jesus Christ about, the, uh, about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, as they were being prophesied by the, the, the disciples, the prophets, these are the things which the disciples and even the theologians of the Jews did not understand. And these things, they needed the Holy Spirit to help them articulate things right now. The turning point of the disciple understanding took place after he was raised from the dead and glorified. But before that, they could not get it. Jesus came to save lost humanity. He wanted the world to know that God of love was willing to forgive, restore, and reconcile lost humanity to himself. Jesus brings peace. Jesus came to bear our pattern. He wants everyone to know that he is the separate and the promised Messiah of all the Savage. The disciples of, 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 
about the nature of his kingdom, the nature of his power, the nature of his glory, the nature of his victories. Though they were moving with him, but they could not get this. God is God in his wisdom has given us his word through the revelation of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have God's holy word. Thus, we have no excuse for knowing him. But how long will human beings continue misunderstanding the mission of Jesus Christ? Thus, people are preaching a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Prosperity gospel. Plasmatic movement. Name it, claim it, heal it. Easy divinism and the 14th gospel. Man is attracted to dead things, but they are spiritual poison. These are spiritual poison and the enemies of the true salvation and the enemies of true righteousness, true sanctification, enemies of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are the counterfeit of true salvation, which Jesus Christ brought. We miss the point when we think that he came to fulfill the above established mandate kingdom. Jesus came to reconcile the fallen man of sin to his father through his suffering and the death on the cross. He brought the message of hope to the lost humanity. Notice this in Matthew 3, verse 2 Prepare for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 8.22, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the evil of your heart may be forgiven. That's the, the, the message which Christ came after the deliverer of the world, but they missed it. These common people, the disciples and the religious leaders, misunderstood their own prophecies about the Messiah who was coming in the New Testament and the mission of the Messiah, what he was coming to do, and his agenda of the kingdom of heaven, what he has come to announce before the world. Christian can also miss the point if they cannot keep their focus correct with the Savior, King, and Son, Savior, Jesus Christ. You can also if your focus is with you, or maybe you wave your focus. We can also miss it as Christians. So they, they, they received him ignorantly. You can also be seated to the church, but maybe ignorantly you have received the King Jesus. You miss him. And because of that, my prayer is that we need actually our focus on him because everything is about him and everything starts with him and ends with him. He's the true way to heaven. He has come so that we can be concerned with the Father, in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you because of this hour.